2: Welcome to the DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash.
1: Welcome to episode 164 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger. Alongside Frank Saravalli, we are officially two weeks into the NHL season. And uh, we will get into lots of, uh, you know, early season surprises, some early season de- disappointments. Um, obviously, the Vancouver Canucks are the only team in the National Hockey League uh, without a victory. But they have as, uh, as many points. they are 03 and 2 They have two points. The Sharks have two points. Minnesota has two points. Arizona, Tampa Bay, Chicago. So a uh, winless uh, when you have two overtime losses, you still, it's like you have the points of a win. But it doesn't feel like a win, Frank. And, man, the, uh, the heat will be on in Vancouver, especially because they set an NHL record four consecutive games that they lost, having a two-goal lead at one point in the game. That's never happened in NHL history, regardless of the time of season. And then last night in uh, Minnesota, they had the lead in the third period. and uh, they, they lose it, and then they lose it in overtime, and it's uh, tough sledding right now in Vancouver.
3: It was a way more complete game for the Canucks. I know there's no mental victories at any, or um, moral victories, I should say, at any point in the NHL season, but I felt like they were getting closer against Minnesota. And geez, what a sloppy mess that overtime was. And it was interesting to watch because you could actually feel watching that game the tension for both teams, Minnesota's winless, Vancouver's winless, both are desperate to get on the board. And geez, you could like, it's only game five of the season, game four of the season. Like that's the pressure was on. And I think honestly, that's the story of the first two weeks of the NHL season. You see the overreaction by the New Jersey devils and miles Wood. the comments from Bruce Boudreau, that his team's mentally weak. And Sheldon Keefe and that whole mess, oh. what he said, then walking it back, then having to explain himself again, it speaks to the pressure these teams are facing to get off to a good start because it's so hard in this league to climb out of a hole.
1: It's True. And, and it's also, you know, you, you go two and two or you, you go one and three, you go one and three at any point in the season, which, which happens for most teams, actually, if you look at it. It's not even discussed, and it's really such a mental hurdle to to not overreact. And let's go to Keith's comments, Frank, because to me, when you say, "Hey, our, we have better players," which I think is fair, it's a compliment to his players by saying he has elite players, and they didn't play as well. Like, I, I don't see that being such a terrible statement to make. Like, on a scale of one to ten, as far as coaches even ripping players, I'd be maybe a one. Like, I, I didn't find that. Th- that big of an issue, but it becomes an issue when you have to address it the next day, I felt.
3: And I don't, I'm, I'm still not entirely clear why he felt the need to address it. He, yeah. he then tried to explain it and said something like, you know, I uh, just, uh, something I said wrong in the media. And he kind of sort of tried to blame it on the media a little yes. bit that we like ran with it or something. And I honestly, it, it was strong. What he said, We have elite players and the Arizona coyotes don't, it's, it's a fact first off. And then our elite players have not played elite. Like that's not, it wasn't over the top. It wasn't gratuitous. It wasn't personal. He didn't call out anyone out specifically by name. He's talking about a group of players. I see nothing to apologize for, but it becomes a story when you then have to go in front of your team and talk it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I – don't. and to me, if his players took issue with that, that's the big issue for me because if you're getting upset about something like that then, that is not remotely uh, attacking any one individual – and it's not even attacking the group. But it didn't
3: sound like they did. Did you hear Mitch Marner? He was like, we're all men here. We understand.
1: Yeah, well yeah. – They
3: didn't sound like they were broken by it.
1: No. So I think he's got a lot of pressure on him. I, I totally understand. I
3: think everyone does. I'm not kidding. I think everyone, like anyone that has any sort of expectations this year, has a ton of pressure.
1: Yeah, which I don't know, like it should be no different than any other season, right? There, there's always expectations on teams every year, and uh, as long as you're not like two and twelve or so far out of it, like even if you just play five hundred, you're you're still fine. Right? Like, I think
3: it's- let me point this out. Last year, the Toronto Maple Leaf started two and five. And yeah. finished with 115 points. Yeah. What are we talking about?
1: Yeah, I don't understand that. Bruce
3: Boudreau told his team a story before Thursday's game against the Wild saying, Hey, I had a team in Anaheim that started one and seven. We won our division. Like, I mean, these things happen. And I'm not saying that just because your team is on a slide doesn't mean there's no cause for concern, because I do think there's cause for concern in Vancouver. I said it, though, before the. The regular season started. Let's just be clear about that. But, I mean, there, are there concerning things that have happened? Sure, but is it time to, you know, smash the panic button? I don't think so.
1: No, I wouldn't uh, think so. Now, there are some teams, like, let's look at some positive stories early on. The Buffalo Sabres. And we'll start right there with the, uh, the Buffalo Sabres. And Eric Comrie is standing on his head for the Buffalo Sabres. He made 46 saves to defeat the Edmonton orders. And then last night goes into Calgary plays very well again. And uh, the Sabres, you know what, they got a really young team, Frank, man. um, You know, I know there's a lot of people that were like, Oh geez, the Tage Thompson contract. I'm telling you watching Tage Thompson, I have no issues with that contract, man. He is a big, strong, really skilled player. He scored an outstanding goal. He had that goal that, well, everybody thought it was a goal. Turns out it was a slap, a ripper off the bar that didn't count, but I don't First think off, it's too early to say
3: whether you have no problem with that contract.
1: Well, I watch him play, Frank. I look at his skill I, set. I, 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 I get it,
3: but it's, it didn't even start yet.
1: Yeah, but I based on last year, too. Like, like they took – I have, I have less it, issue with that one than I do the Samuelson one. Like, I think Tage Thompson, when you're that big and you're that skilled, like, you don't. I don't think you, he just got lucky. He doesn't have to score 80 points, especially with the cap going up, you know, as, as a Bettman said, potentially up $4.5 next year. He
3: has a- one goal in four games. He's, he's paid to be a goal scorer, and he had 38 last year.
1: Yeah, but it, look at the chances. To me, I watched Tage Thompson play in his game. I bet you that contract, no one will be complaining about. I'll just say this. No one will be complaining about that contract over the next few years. I'll just say that.
3: Okay, I'm just saying I haven't seen enough yet to warrant that type of contract. Because let's say he went out and did it again. How much more was it possibly going to cost them? That's my argument against what the Sabres have done. If he went out and scored another 38 goals and 68 points, how much more than what they paid was it going to cost?
1: Well, oh, I think it's like anything. If you do it twice that big, you're going to be paying more, no question. H- how much more?
3: Like, he, he already got paid to that level. Like, he already got paid as someone that's consistently doing 38 goals and 68 points.
1: Well, Jeff Skinner got $9 million, dude, and he had 41s. Didn't he have 40 previous to that, though? I don't think so.
3: Jeff Skinner before that had 37, yes.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I think you can always... You know how it works. You have two big seasons. You're always getting more. I just... I like that contra. I'll say this. I think Buffalo... Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're going to struggle because they have so much youth on their defense. And and eventually that's, you know, they're, right now Eric Comrie's playing out of his mind. And good for him. There's a guy who's bounced around. I can't remember how I lost count of how many times it was during the COVID season that he was put on waivers and picked up by other teams and bounced around and bounced around. And just because of all the uh, uh, rules back then that season where he had to isolate for two weeks, like he never really got any footing and ended up back in Winnipeg again. You know, this is, it's early season for him but there is a guy who's been waiting for an opportunity. And so far he has absolutely killed it with his opportunity. And you know what? Mike McKenna wrote a really nice
3: story breaking down Eric Comrie's game on daily Faceoff, just from the Oilers game. So he said he was seeing promising traits, suggesting that he thinks Comrie can be the real deal. And he, he had video breakdown, everything. It was really well done. And that was before he went out and did it again against Calgary. So, yeah. um, hey, that's been the one big positional checkbox that Buffalo's been missing. You think back to last season, you know, forty-one-year-old Mike Anderson or Craig Anderson, excuse me. Not it's it's tough to get that done. Like, and Anderson's been fine, but it's tough to be a really competitive team without that. And by the way, we should talk about Rasmus Dahlin too. To open a season, a four-game uh, goal-scoring streak, the first. Defenseman in NHL history to do that something Bobby Orr didn't do score in each of his first four games of a season. So Rasmus Dahlin, we were all thinking that this might be the Owen Power breakout season, and it really might be the Dahlin season.
1: Well, it just shows you again, Frank. um I always, I always hedge my bets on rookies. Always hedge my bets on rookies. And you know, we can get into the rookie story because now you got, you know, you got. Well, in some cases, uh two in St. Louis, but all the way up to six games played for some teams. I'm going to be very curious about the decision for Seattle with Shane, Wright. You know, yeah. As you near well, the, as you near what would you do? Mark. Oh, I'd send him back to junior.
3: I would, because it's not even like he was one of those players that, although he had a fine season, he didn't blow the doors off. Like, it's not like he was so far head and shoulders above everyone else that he'd be bored.
1: Yeah. Like he, and he also, he basically played like just over a hundred junior games right? Like he just doesn't have a ton of time. Like you, he's played three games, Frank. He's averaged six minutes a game. Like the worst thing Seattle could do is keep him for the year thinking he's going to improve as a player playing six minutes a night. Like I I hope everybody involved in that situation recognizes the best way to develop is playing you know what there's lots of things he can work on he can have a coach challenge him you know to get on the penalty kill and be a great penalty killer as well as on the power play in junior there's tons of stuff to work on so the fact that he's only playing 6 minutes a night uh, I think he's going to get his 9 games and then he's going to go back to junior it would be it would be ridiculous to do anything else
3: it would also if you really think he's the real deal if you think he's going to be really good and you're the Kraken it also just makes prudent business sense slide the contract for a year get another year of Shane Wright at entry level for a team that is not trying to be good this year. That's the way I would think of it. Like that's the added bonus of it.
1: Yes. You're totally right.
3: He got a little taste. He picked up his first NHL point. Like when you're averaging that few minutes, like it just doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yuri Slavkovsky is the other one, right? Uh, The other big rookie name and you know, the Montreal Canadiens, Hey, they got some excitement going uh, early on for, for a variety of different reasons. We'll get into Wi-Fi in a second. That's a great nickname, by the way.
3: Dude, what a tilt between Wi-Fi and, uh, and Zach Cassian, man.
1: Yeah, like you, you just don't, you know, he didn't land many bombs. He just, it was kind of manhandled. He's a big, strong guy. And you know what I liked was his comments after the game. Like, here's a young player who's, who's very confident in himself. He says, you know what? I'm not uh I'm not going to be intimidated if anybody wants me here I am. And in today's NHL, Frank, you just don't see it very often. Uh Montreal fans are going to absolutely love this guy. You know, you you look at the uh at the at the role he's playing in Montreal. Like he's playing 15 minutes a night. Right? Like so it's not like he's just a guy who's out there who can fight. You play 15 minutes a night, you're contributing to your team. He, he's but he's a bulldog. Like I can't explain it in any
3: other way than that. When you watch his game, he's a disruptor. He's trying to be a shift disturber and not just in a pest way, but he's relentless on the puck. He's relentless in corners. He's relentless defensively, like to step in right from the OHL where he helped his hometown Hamilton bulldogs to a mem cup right into the NHL. It's, it doesn't happen all that often. Uh, for guys without that type of pedigree so i love arbor jack story i love the tenacity that he shows and going after zach cassian who's a scary dude in his own right he, you know to take him on and basically ragdoll him like i don't i don't know i don't know what was more impressive that or you know, when you, it was kind of sad in a way because you looked at it like for Zach Cassian, of course he obliged, but it felt like for me, it was like an admission from Cassian that maybe his heart just wasn't in it.
1: Well, it's, it's funny because uh, earlier in the day, uh, Louis DeBrasco, uh was having a conversation and he was talking about fighting um, just in, in around the room prior to the uh, Emmonson the um, Carolina game. And he was talking about, you know, I was asking some questions about Sedano Chara because he was such a huge man. And, and you know, he had to fight him once uh, early in Chara's career, late in Louis's career. And he said that he didn't really know who the guy was. He was just huge. And he goes, Chara didn't really know how to fight back then. But he was just so strong and he would string you out. And uh, once he got his arms straight, there was nothing you could do. you try to get inside of him. And he said, but usually you wanted a guy, if you were a fighter, you wanted a guy to come at you. Like you, you, you watch Reeves. Reeves is great at guys come at him and now you can counter. Right. And uh, if you watch, you know, the um, he went Wi-Fi went right at Cassian, but didn't allow Cassian to counter. And he basically just was walking right through the left so like it was no big deal. And it obviously looked worse at the end because, you know, Cassian got down his heads down in that position. And as you said, you know, you get ragdolled. Um, I was actually surprised knowing Cassian's personality. I thought they might go again just because a lot of guys are like, you know what? I don't like how that looks. Let's do it again. But uh, it didn't happen. Probably because maybe the score was so out of reach, but he's a player. Yeah, but I think he's, the point is like what I was saying about Cassie, and I, I'm
3: not knocking him. I'm just saying, in order to be a successful fighter, like you, you can't, if your heart's not in it, you can't fake it. Okay. That's so you're the point. You, didn't you think his heart's in it? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm saying if it isn't, just factually, you can't, you oh, can't no. fake your way, you can't go through the motions and fight someone in the NHL. It doesn't yeah. happen. And and my point is if I'm Cassian and I'm at this stage in my career and now I'm in Arizona instead of Edmonton on a team where, you know, you were a cap casualty and now you go to a team that has no interest in winning. How do you get jacked up for that? That's that fair. would be really hard. I yeah. would have a really hard time doing that.
1: Well, I, I'm, i hey, I talked about it earlier about Arizona's schedule, six on the road, four at home, 14 on the road. I'm, I'm very curious if they can get more than four or five wins. Um now Yuri well, They beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, that's their one one. Yep. Um Yuri Slavkovsky, he is playing the fewest minutes per game in Montreal, but it's still eleven twenty-six. And because of his, you know, being a European, he can technically go to the American League, Frank. So I wonder how like his situation's different than Wright because Shane Wright doesn't have the AHL option. And and I wonder like how Montreal, I, I think he might go past the nine games. I'd I like told he- you from the beginning that I thought he's playing all season. But like earlier, though, if he's not playing a ton and you talk about the business side of it, right, like him going to the AHL, well, you know, he wastes a year either way. I just it's going to be very interesting to me to see the difference in the players down the road because you look at a guy, you know, Leon Dreisaitl, who's a Hart Trophy winner. He wasn't ready for the NHL as a teenager. And I think teams really need to take a hard look at what's best for the development of a player. Because we've seen, Frank, we've seen guys who stick in the NHL when they aren't ready at 18, a lot of top picks. And I can go down the list of those guys, and they never became the player you expected. Now, maybe they never would have, but I really wonder how many of them, just because of that lack of confidence, the lack of puck touches, lack of everything, that they just, their career stalled before it ever really got started
3: but the great thing about dry cycle story is a reminder that, and it's especially good when you draft a player from, from Europe that you can send him down and it doesn't have to be at any sort of certain magic number. If you feel like he's hitting the wall, go and give him a confidence boost. Maybe he comes back up later in the season. Maybe he doesn't
1: like well, Drysaddle just, was but Drysaddle was drafted out of the WHL, so he still had to go back to junior.
3: True, right. Okay, so maybe that's a poor example. But 37 games everyone's like, "Oh no, like this was a failure." Well, why? Was yeah, it because they burned the first year of his deal?
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, some people looked at that and hey, he got he got cash in big time, but you know what? But guess <laughs> what? I bet I bet them. the player like that. Steal. Yeah. Right. Like that's a steal. Now you look at dry Settle's contract it actually, you know, he got big time money, but, uh, from, from a value per dollar sense, uh, the orders got a huge break and they needed it because they're, you know, they're pretty cap. Uh, lack so
3: let's play factor. that out the other way to your point. Let's say he goes down after nine games and then goes and has the three seasons that he does. He probably ends up costing the Oilers more than five. Oh, for sure. So he comes out and goes 53, 51, 77. If that's the third year of his entry level deal, they're in big trouble. Yep.
1: I still, you you can
3: slice it both ways. All I'm saying is if he, if Slavkovsky were to stay and just to pick an arbitrary number, because dry played 37, let's say he plays 37 games. Is that a failure of a season?
1: I don't think so. No, as long as though at some point in the year, Frank, He's put in a situation where he can gain confidence because that is every player will tell you, man, the game, not that it's ever easy, but it's significantly easier when you have confidence.
3: I don't think that'll be a problem with Marty St. Louis. I think he's so good at pumping his guys up. And I also think watching the way they've handled Slapkovsky to this point, they want him watching a lot. And, And I don't mean like watching from the press box or watching from the bench. They want him to learn by doing, but seeing other guys and pointing things out. They're very, their plan and approach, I think, is very specific.
1: Yeah. And hey, uh, congratulations. Uh, Sean Monaghan looks healthy and he's scoring goals again. Uh, there was a guy who was pretty much a you know, 25 to 30 goal scorer, book it every year. And then he battled with some injuries. And here he is uh, early in the season. And again, there he is, a guy who's on pace for, for 30 plus goals.
3: Guess what? Montreal Canadians are going to be in a really good spot at this trade deadline. For one, as they watch Florida with this Aaron Eckblatt injury, they hold that number one pick from Florida, which is not lottery protected of all the trades Florida made, whether it was trading their pick for Giroux or trading another pick for whoever um, all the first round picks they've traded. That's the only one that was not lottery protected or top 10 protected. Yeah, so not only that, that but the Montreal Canadiens have Sean Monahan, Jonathan Druen, and Evgeny Dadanoff all as pending unrestricted free agents that are flippable assets that they could move should any of them begin to play well. I mean, tough start for dadanov, no points. But Monahan score like these guys, if you can chop their cap hits and their cheap trade deadline acquisitions, maybe even before that. To get some more picks and prospects, like what a win for Montreal!
1: Yeah, Florida. I, honestly, I, I don't think they have to worry about that being a lottery protection pick. I know that's a huge blow. It's not just Ekblad; it's also Duclair. And I'll say this, Frank: in the second week of the season, one of the bigger storylines was just the key injuries. Duclair, Ekblad, uh, Landeskog is out mm-hmm. twelve weeks. Um, Kurt, you know, Brown, who was a big acquisition for Washington, he's out a significant time and they got tons of injuries there and they're not off to a good start. Like it's a, no, they're not. It's a whirlwind, but and injuries though do play a factor. Um, the, the depth of the top six in Washington is drastically depleted right now. Yeah, but look at the back end of Florida.
3: I mean, you're basically counting on Gustav Forsling and, and now you've got uh Brandon Montour coming back he's a guy that was also banged up but was getting closer to returning as Ekblad was going out you've got Stahl Gudis, and Forsling playing like 24 minutes a night that's that's, it's not sustainable no and and then you look at the other guys Josh Mahura was a waiver's claim from Anaheim I, I like Mahura kirstead and carlson like you're asking a lot of those guys to play significant minutes for the next six weeks or so as ekblad is nursing this groin strain
1: yeah well that's why i always the the, the Uyghur addition in the kachuk trade i, I was surprised how many people kind of downplayed it i think weaker's a really good defenseman and um and they gave up a lot for Kachuk. So we'll see if they get through it or not. And hey, sometimes injuries, the LA Kings will tell you, Frank, last year, uh, injuries on their back end, uh, they got through it, almost ended up with 100 points, and uh, got a lot of good experience for some of their guys. And you know, sometimes injuries can be a, 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 an odd blessing if you have players that are ready to play.
3: Well, that's what I was going to say. Florida doesn't have the pipeline that LA did. Like no. LA has got a bunch of prospects that are waiting in the wings. And in fact, they probably still have too many. And now they're in a spot where you're going to see LA trade a defenseman at some point this year, I would imagine because they just have too many. That's the Florida problem. Panthers don't, that's not a luxury they have. And moving forward, they don't have any picks.
1: Well, that, the, the, the lack of picks is, is fair, but you know, I, I, I look, I think Florida has a plan Frank where they felt like they were going to be a team that they've got their, their core pieces and they were just going to be a team that would, would shop in, in free agency uh, for the next few years and, and, and not really worry about draft picks. We'll see if it's the right plan. Like eventually you, you would think that comes back to haunt you, but you know, the no draft picks doesn't hurt you right away. It's usually five years down the road that it starts to impact your organization.
3: Yeah. do you know what? Um, Florida's a team, as you look with the news this week from the Board of Governors meeting that I attended in New York, um, the NHL projection that this cap is going to go up potentially four to four and a half million dollars. I think the projection is a little rosy, but the idea that they could pay that debt off from players to owners this season is Like mind-blowing news because the original projection was 2025. So the fact that it's even a possibility is really interesting and intriguing. But Florida is one of those teams that would benefit in such a huge way. Not only do they have some contracts coming off of the books, uh, like a Patrick Hornquist at 5.3 and, um, you know, Radko Gudis at 2.5, but they've also got five and change million dollars coming off its dead cap space that's 10 million bucks plus the potential uh increase of this cap like they could have 14 million dollars to spend when they have most of their core locked down for the next bit
1: oh yeah it's huge right Uh, a team like edmonton same thing because they got um, you, you look, well, they wouldn't be an LTI because, and that's, that really limits your flexibility because Smith and Klapbaum's contracts are done. Uh, they've got dead cap space from Lucic and Secra. So, you know, they would free up significant dollars too. So you're right. And there's a few teams I've looked at that if it go, well, it'll help every team, of course, but those teams that had zero cap flexibility. Yeah.
3: Toronto, well, Washington, yeah. Tampa vegas and four and a half million man like that could be it's a huge deal like take take the oilers for instance or or toronto both these teams they're they're strong up front and some look at their back ends and say they're they're thin well hey you can just go out now
1: and add a four and a half
3: million dollar defenseman
1: oh yeah well i'll tell you who else is pumped are the the players who are pending free agents coming this summer man it's like or or not
3: you are rolling the dice being a free agent this summer because if the cap is only going up a million bucks, That's fair. well then you are S O L the year okay. to hit it for guaranteed. Sure. Is 2024. Cause everyone that I've spoken to is confident that no matter what the cap will be going up by then.
0: Yes.
1: Now, quickly before we get to uh by ourselves, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Frank, uh, I look at them. They are uh, they're 3-0-1 to start the season. But to me, it's it's not just a the record, they have dominated teams. I I would argue that they have them and Vegas might be the two most dominant teams early on. Like Vegas has controlled their games. Pittsburgh, same thing, man. Like, I've been quite impressed by the Pittsburgh Penguins. You talked about Jeff Petrie. He's looking like the Jeff Petrie in Montreal when he was a uh, four-time 40-pointer. Jan Ruda, uh, who I liked as an addition there. But, man, like, I watched the Penguins games, and it's almost like they're toying with their opposition. Like, they've been really good. Absolutely waxing the Los Angeles
3: Kings on Thursday night in Pitt. Uh, The cool thing about that game was six different goal scorers scored their six goals, which – They've been spreading it around and Crosby's been unreal. Like, I don't think, and we talked about this. I think we had a, was it a fill in the blank or buy, buy or sell question last earlier this week about Crosby and how many points he's going to get. But when you take, because he's missed so many games, when you take his last, you know, number of games, he's got 91 points in 73 games. Like that's a, that's a significant pace if he's able to play a full 82 game season.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And um, I, I know it's very early. We'll say you know it's one hundred and three points.
3: I mean that's that's pretty damn good.
1: Oh, it is. But and, and small sample size alert. Small sample size alert. But you know Jake Ottinger looks exactly like he did in the playoffs. Um, Tristan Jari, who, who Kevin Woodley thought was poised to have a really good year. You know some of the younger goalies. Your 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 pick of uh, Ilya Samsonov. He's looked good. Logan Thompson in Vegas. Like it's early. But, man, there's lots of kind of younger goalies, Carter Hart, who have all had good starts. And I'm I'm really interested to see how they continue on because Ottinger is the one guy, Frank, that I will watch because he was so good in the playoffs. And then Dallas got him on a, like, if he plays like this, Dallas got him on a ridiculous deal similar to Shesterkin. And it kind of just shows that, man, like, if you're a forward and you play well for one year, you get paid. Man, you're a goalie, you play well for one year, and you're like, man. Wait, wait, yeah, we'll goalies see.
3: coming off of entry level, are, they don't really have
1: a lot of leverage. Yeah, like it's, it's a crazy difference. Crazy difference. And uh, in, I'll tell you, if Ottinger and those guys keep doing it, other goalies are going to say, hey, wait a sec. Um, Fords are getting big-time cake coming out of their ECLs. Uh, some defensemen are too. It's never going to happen. You don't think so?
3: No. And the reason for that is it's the most fickle position in sports. You could be awesome one year and terrible the next. And so much of it is team-dependent that I also think teams have learned, like you're not going to see in, in very rare instances, Vasilevsky is one, you know, you saw it with Carrie price and that didn't work out. Sergey Bobrovsky's deal has been a disaster. You're not going to see the eight year max contracts very rarely for goalies. Like you'd have to be a Vezina, you know, winner, you know, type consistent like a Shesterkin may be in order to ultimately command that kind of dough. But coming out of entry level, you have almost no shot. Eager Shesterkin set the market at 5.67. It's the most ever paid to a goalie coming out of entry level. A lot of these other deals, you know, Carter Hart originally held the record. Ottinger has been, his number was really good for his payday. Thatcher Demko, it took him two contracts to get just to 5 million bucks and change like it's, it just doesn't happen. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, Hey, with the, the cap, going, all it takes is one, right? That's all it takes is one. And um, once it happens, then uh, the rest will fall. That's usually is what we
3: always say about free agency and, and some wild and stupid deals that are handed out. It only oh. takes one.
1: Uh, and that takes one. And then sadly they never listen. Well, good for the players though. I never, I never fault the player. Someone's going to someone wants to pay you. And I would never say no to the contract. I don't, I don't know any human being would be like, yeah, I don't think I'm worth that. I don't think that's ever going to happen.
3: Well, you know, what's funny not to like, I know we're going to play by sell, but just just some of the feedback that I got from that Matias Samuelson contract. And I know we've talked a lot about it, but you know, some agents were saying like taking that deal seven years, when you know, the cap is going way up is an admission from you and your camp that you think you're not that good. Because if you were thinking that you were good, you would just take a two-year bridge deal and you'd cash in for way more than that. And now, I'd have a hard time saying no to $30 million guaranteed, but I'm just pointing out the thought process behind it.
1: I, I also wonder, Frank, if you look at the history, European defensemen, you know, you go back to Adam Larson. He's not a Austin. European defenseman. He's from Philly. All right, uh, bomb. There's lots of guys that have done it more. Right. Well, he's from Philly. Sure, I guess. But I just I find born like, and raised like his whole. yeah His, his, his dad, Shell Samuelson,
3: played in the NHL.
1: Yeah. But his parents, like I wonder because I do see it more for whatever reason with European defensemen who have locked into those long term deals at a younger age on, on what, you know, people consider value cap. hits it's seemingly to be more of them than it has been North American players.
3: Yeah. And I, I mean, the, the poster child for that would be John Klingberg, right?
1: Well, Klinberg, Larson, Kleppbaum, exactly, right? Lots of them. And so it's its just, an like, I wonder if there's just a different philosophy that, you know, you just say, hey, man, guaranteed money, let's do it. But forwards have done it too.
3: Nathan McKinnon did it. I mean, there's lots of people. like.
1: Yeah, but Nathan McKinnon still, if you actually look back, Nathan McKinnon was a 50-point player and got, at the time that he got six mil, Frank, like, that was legit money for a guy who was a 50-point player. And then he still, it took him two years before he busted out. You're right, like, you know, but that was like that was close to fifty mil what he signed for, right? Yeah. So, but and he's kind of the rarity one, right? Like, there's not, you know, there's not many. Brad Marchand would be the other one, but again, Brad Marchand was this this strange beast who was like, and then he, they like they explode by forty points, which just rarely happens. Never happens. Yeah. Like those two, that's why their contract, everybody says, oh, team friendly. No, (laughs) Mm -hmm. they were 50-point guys who suddenly became 90-point players. Mm Mind-blowing. Like that's a massive jump. Massive. Mm -hmm. Like I wonder if we'll see anybody do that this year. So let's bring in uh, Tyler Uramchuk.
2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Yes, it is time for another edition of Buy or Sell, delivered by our friends over at DoorDash. But before we get into that, Frank, I had a question about the cap going up. So the reports are, and you're at the Board of Governors meeting, so you would know the answer to this, It could go up as much as four and a half million if the debt is paid off. If the debt isn't all the way paid off, could it go up two or three million? No, it can only go up one,
3: according to the memorandum of understanding.
0: So it is one, or it is four point. So even if they're
3: only a few million dollars away, at least according to the question I asked specifically, I asked that exact question just to be clear of the commissioner and and Bill Daly, and that was the answer. No, it can only go up one million.
1: So what about this, Frank? NHL PA has a war chest. If they were that close, couldn't they just dig into the war chest themselves and then pay themselves back? I assume they could. Yeah. But.
3: is that be be, think about it. Like, it would be wise for the NHL yes. too. And that's the thought process has been, Hey, maybe like if they get close, they're just going to fudge it because so many teams are, are potentially putting heat on the league to get the cap moving again.
0: Yeah. And if you're the PA so and you're, if you're the PA and it costs you X amount of dollars, but. The cap's going to go up for an extra $3.5 times that by 32 teams. You know, it might make sense for, from their end, right? Interesting. Interesting stuff. Uh, let's get into Do- or buy or sell delivered by DoorDash. The promo code is GAMEDAY25. That gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app. GAMEDAY25. Last season, Kale McCarr was the only defenseman to hit the 25 goal mark. I will say Rasmus Dahlin joins him this season by herself, Frank. I could buy that. I mean,
3: he's off to a great start. I don't think teams are going to underestimate the Sabres for much longer, Fair. but I do think there's always a bit of that to start the year. And he's a really talented and smart player, so why not?
1: Ooh. Well, the the only guys I think in the last decade to get twenty five, McCarr did it, and Burns did it twice. I'm going to sell. It's hard to score twenty five goals for forwards. Never mind defensemen.
3: Chickeron had eighteen in a fifty six game season. Oh
1: yeah, now, as Darnell Nurse had seventeen that year too. So, I mean, um, that's that's projected, obviously over twenty five. Yeah, but the it's existence. still it's. Uh, I'm going to, I'm selling. I just, I think that's really hard to ask. I hope he does it.
0: I mean, I love offense. I hate, that's,
3: that's the thing. I hate betting on the under. Yeah, betting oh, on the under so, is
0: so lame. Yeah. Loser. Uh, okay. Well then if you hate betting unders, I have a funny feeling what your answer is going to be here. Uh, Cole Caulfield, Evgeny Svechnikov, two guys who are both, uh, sorry, Andre Svechnikov, both two guys who are off to fantastic starts this season. Svechnikov, huge night in Edmonton last night. I'm going to say they both hit the 40 goal mark the first time in their careers buy or sell jason
1: both well i think Svechnikov is man that guy his release are you kidding me his yeah. second goal last night was unreal his release point go back and watch where he had the puck and where he released it from that's an amazing shot um yeah i'll, I'll go i think Svechnikov can do it uh i think cole Caulfield's gonna get 35 i don't think he's gonna get 40 Damn,
3: I hate agreeing with you, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy on Svechnikov, who was the ninth ranked pure shooter in our daily faceoff archetype rankings, which you can read on dailyfaceoff.com. And I'm going to say Caulfield, when you look at his numbers, under Marty St. Louis, he's actually on a 50 goal pace because he finished. Heading into uh, Thursday's game for the Habs, he had 25 goals in 41 games under Marty St. Louis, which obviously multiplied by two is 50 over 82. But I think my guess what's going to happen with Caulfield is one, teams are going to really key in on him at a certain point. And two, as the year goes on, for the reasons I mentioned earlier about the Canadians beginning to pluck pieces off of their team, Their roster is just going to get thinner and thinner. He's going to have less support. And I think that's probably ultimately going to, you know, damage his chase for 40 as well.
1: We'll see. Is anybody the Brian Savage of 2022? Mr. October. God, that guy used to score all the time in October and then couldn't score the rest of the year.
0: Uh, Brian Savage. What a pull that is. Yeah, I was going to say, wow. (laughs) Um a lot of talk about guys fitting in with their new teams Frank on our daily show, Daily Faceoff Live Live every weekday at noon eastern uh, We were talking about like, oh, Kadri's fitting in so well Kachuk's fitting in so well in Florida No one's given love to Johnny Hockey in Columbus Who is off to a great start He scored 40 last year He maybe doesn't have the same help that he did last season With A out of the lineup and things like that But I'm going to say Johnny Hockey hits 40 once again Buy or sell, Jason?
1: Uh... He is off to a good start. What is it? Does he got? I think he's got four now, right? Four goals in five games. Yep.
3: One uh, of them was an empty netter.
1: How well, count. I, 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 I do want to get into empty netters in a second, but um, you know what? I, I think he's, he's going to get so much opportunity there. Um, yeah. I will buy that. Uh, the Johnny hockey gets to uh 40. I just, I don't like that nickname. I'm sorry, but I don't know. It's, I how about Johnny jacket? Ah, that's a good one. Ooh. Bad better. something not Frank. bad. Frank. Who gave you that one? No, that he's
3: he actually promoted it himself. He, oh, he like retweeted you know. something from the blue okay, channel. whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. He gave
3: himself. His no, name? No, 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 no. They gave him the team called him Johnny Jacket, and I think
1: I saw him retweet it. Okay, okay. So he must fair. approve. This this is a rubber stamp Johnny approve. Okay. Well, that's fair then. Because if it was his own, we have to do a whole segment on giving trying to give yourself your own nicknames. Yeah. We had a buddy who did it once. It's an epic fail. Like you can't, you can't try so to well. give yourself your own nickname.
3: Okay, so I'm
1: gonna sell. Here
3: are Johnny Hockey's, Johnny Jackets' career numbers from best to worst 30, 40, 36, 30, 24, 24, 19, 18, 18. I'm just, history suggests that he's not a 40 goal scorer, even at age 29 after doing it last year. So I'm gonna sell.
0: All right. The Philadelphia Flyers off to a very hot start so far this season. I'm not buying it though. I'm saying they're still going to finish with under 65 points this season. Buy yourself, Frank. Sell. So, uh, a
3: 65 is pretty low. That's I took the Sabers under 66 last year, and that came back to bite me in the ass hard. Um, it's like you got to be really bad. Like it's pretty easy now to get to even 80 points. It really is. Look at all the teams going way north of 100. So I'm going to say the Flyers get to 80 points. Wow. Yes, I just think they're they're going to compete. Like torch is going to be up their ass to the point where, like they they got to work and you can't take nights off. So they're I think seventy five to eighty is where they end up.
0: All
1: right. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell as well. I, getting over there was five teams in NHL last year who had lower than uh, fewer than sixty six points. I, I think Philly. I, I don't know if they get to eighty, but uh, I, I think they get uh, north of seventy.
3: There were five teams last year under 66?
1: Yeah. Jersey, Philly, Seattle, Arizona, Montreal. Wow. Never know. Oh, yeah. There's going to be some for sure. Uh, yeah. I get- mean, Montreal, Arizona,
3: Chicago. I, I don't know. I don't know how many more than that.
0: Yeah. San Jose, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Cool. San Jose. Uh, yeah. Well, All right. Arizona. Let's book it, man. Yeah. Like it up on arizona uh, frank's gonna be at the mullet arena right away for their uh, home open yeah next friday baby we, are they
1: handing out mullets do you know like are they handing out wig mullets they, they should do it
0: frank uh
1: i don't know i hope they are that'd be great like that like that's the easiest promotion to
3: do yeah. they that's should the like right being on campus like it should be like on on weeknight games twenty dollar tickets for students and one dollar beers
1: you know what, Frank, it's interesting. I, I ran into uh, David Oliver, who's scouting right now in the, in, in the national, for the Coyotes, funny enough. But uh, he played NCAA. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the arena, and he just said he feels it's going to have a complete NCAA vibe. And for guys who never played NCAA, like, he goes, yeah, it's not the NHL, but it's such a different fandom. Hmm. And he really believes that, you know what, sure, it's, it's the NHL, and is, is it ideal long-term? No. But he thinks the atmosphere, just uh, atmosphere alone, people are going to like it. Like opposing players, guys who played NCAA are going to come back visiting, and they're going to be like, Oh, God, I remember being here, you know, whether, I, wherever you play. I don't think so.
3: I'm not buying he, it. I'm not I drinking the Kool-Aid.
1: Thinks- I, everyone's been saying
3: that. I'm just – I can already tell you the players are not happy. Hmm. They're, they're they're Maybe the facilities get better. The annex isn't built yet where yes. they're going to have their
1: – you know all their stuff their oh, no, the coyote players all. will get tired of it frank i'm talking the, the coyote players are already tired of it yeah yeah oh no i d- i agree with that i'm talking the visitors who only have to come there once a year
3: well everyone's excited to go to arizona it's warm in the winter and the team you get a free two points like <laughs> i mean come on and now you put them on a college campus like seriously <laughs> um i don't know i just i'm excited to see it just cause it's going to be so unique. And the building is actually really nice. Like it, it is like one of the premier college hockey venues in the, in the country
1: now. Well, Truth. it's going to be even better when, when the coyotes leave, right? Well, because yeah. Handing the them facility. a free annex for 20 yeah. million bucks. Oh, for sure. Now has, has the, I haven't followed the club. Has the new arena, like, is that official yet in Arizona? Like, is no. that 100% a hundred percent? locked no. in inefficient. I didn't think no. so. So no. that to me is my concern here.
3: Right? Like it's, it's exactly what Gary Bettman said going back to the Board of Governors meeting last year. Stop worrying about the temporary solution and start fixing the permanent problem. Mm-hmm. And until they do that, I'm just, like, I'm just not a believer in general. Not to be pessimistic, we're on like oh. eight different arena plans now.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And, so- and by I- the way,
3: since we're talking about arenas, Calgary Flames, get it done. It's embarrassing the way that you broke off talks last year over 40 million bucks, which was a small percentage of the total project can't believe that's a a real thing. Stop trying to strong-arm the city. Get the steel in the ground in Calgary. The Saddle Dome is a dump. It's literally falling apart. It's literally a dump. It's embarrassing, NHL facility-wise, what they're playing in. I will say,
1: though, Frank, the one best thing about the Saddle Dome, they have a little cafe uh, in the Saddle Dome. And it's open on every game day and practice day. They have the greatest soup and sandwich you can get for like five bucks. It's unbelievable. That is the one thing that when they build their new facility, if they don't, <laughs> yeah, it's for that, employees
3: to eat. It's like their employee. Cafe. No, no,
1: but no, anybody who's working there that day. That's what, what I mean. Can. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I'm just saying that
0: is one. Of like the, the general stuff.
3: public
1: does not enjoy that. Well, the, the staff members do. I'll go
3: to hell. Oh, can they'll find something for it. Them. All these teams have something.
0: No, no, inflation.
1: I, I don't think for regular staff members. I don't know an arena that does. A lot of teams do. Staff.
3: There's a lot of teams that feed okay. their their staff all day.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah but these yeah. are like arena staff. Like I I've talked to them about it. Like and the food is good. Like you know how some cafeterias like hmm, yeah, geez. like high school. No,
3: this yeah. is. Top you you asked the question. You said you know what's good about the Saddleroom, and I said nothing.
0: Yeah.
3: All right. <laughs> like they're they're uh, just being a fan in the upper deck. Tyler, like you went to a game there last mm-hmm. year, right? Yeah, like you can't even see the ice in yeah, some the parts. Lower bowl, of it.
1: the lower bowl in Calgary is great, but I agree that that third deck on the, the lower one bowl side, is tiny. But it's awesome. Like it's good vantage point. No, their lower yeah. bowl, their lower bowl's got a fair amount of rows. It's
0: good in the corners. Not compared to like new rinks. I mean, it's tiny compared to all the new builds that come up.
3: Because oh, like all the new rows. builds have all the seating in the lower bowl and, yeah. and little upstairs.
0: Yeah. Calgary's the lighter. opposite.
1: Like the bowl goes like this, guys. Right, yeah. like in Calgary, it's still a little bit of an old school one. The new rinks, I like them. The problem with the new rinks is the the angle, the pitch of the seats. You're right. Yeah, there's more close, but you're farther from oh, the rink. I used yes. to like. Granted, maybe I'm spoiled, but you go back, Frank. I don't know if the old Spectrum had it, but you go back to the original, like Maple Leaf Gardens and the form, Like the pitch of those rinks, man. Even though you were up, you were much closer. Now everything's so big, you're just farther away from the game.
3: Bell centers like that. Yeah. The, yeah. you walk up and down the steps and like they're illegal in most places the pitch of the steps. Yeah, they're awesome.
0: All right, our uh, we're, we're wrapping this up with our PointsBet Canada bonus question, shout out to our friends at PointsBet Canada. I'm going to do this uh like trivia question style. If you were to bet on the money line so far this season, who do you think is the most profitable team in the NHL so far, Frank?
3: Um
0: Oh, you're cheating. You're looking at the
3: standings. No, I'm just looking at the standings. Uh, I would say
1: the Flyers. Jason? Well, I, I might pick San Jose. I can't figure out. You, know, you would have picked them to lose most games, would you not have?
0: No, I'm saying like betting on them to win on the money line oh. would be the most profitable.
1: Oh. Yeah, well, Philly's a good one. Uh, Buffalo?
0: You would be correct. It is the Buffalo Sabres. If you were to put $100 on the Sabres every night, uh, you would be up $445. If you were to do that on the Flyers, only 400 and there are actually only two other teams in the nhl where you would be up more than 200 betting on them every game if again assuming 100 bucks on the money line and that is the boston bruins and actually the montreal canadians who are three and two with a pair of big upsets mixed in there over pittsburgh and toronto so uh there you go that is a wrap on this week's edition of buy or sell brought to you by points bay canada and DoorDash. ding dong
1: Follow the Sabers, baby. Get in while it's hot, Frank. Get in while it's hot. Uh, eventually, so the- okay. L- real talk: Do the Sabers make the playoffs? I saw this like trending
3: on social media yesterday. Like, I'm putting my foot down. The Sabers are making the playoffs. Okay.
1: Um, I've learned not to get that excited over a smaller sample size. I like the Sabers. I like their future. Um, they give up way too much. And eventually your, your goalie can't stand on his head every night. It's not going to happen. They got such a young decor. So I, I, I picked them to improve, but I didn't pick them to make the playoffs. So I'll stick with it. Yeah, I
3: agree. I'll tell you that they're way better than I thought though. They can skate. They create oh. chances. They're
1: exciting to watch, which I think See is half Casey the battle. Middlestad. The Casey Middlestad, man. Like he looks way faster. I don't know if you saw that goal last night against Calgary, but that was a sweet backhand sauce, top shelf. Um, They've got some good young players. I think the future looks good in Buffalo, as it should, because they've been terrible for over a decade, right? Um, I I think they might have one more year where they end up being probably, you know, 10-plus points out of the playoffs. But Sabre fans, I think next year, Frank, is, is the year that they take a step. And you talked about it off the top, about, you know, they got a lot of young defensemen they like, a lot of young forwards. If Eric Comrie and, you know, Mike McKenna knows the goaltending position infinitely better than I do. Um, You know, if he sees the technical side of it, you're like, hey, this guy's got a shot for us. And then if you can get a goaltender, well, now you got a legit shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
3: I think they're falling just short,
1: but I love when the Sabres are good. Buffalo is a great hockey town, and it's been too long. And uh, Frank, here's one for you. The obscure record that could be broken this year. The Gregor stat of the day. You know what the NHL record is for most empty net goals in the season? Nine. And uh, Connor McDavid already has two. Connor McDavid is on the ice lots when the orders are protecting leads. Uh, he's got the speed where if if his teammates when they see him, if they get possession, you put the puck to certain areas, he can outrace everyone. I think Connor McDavid is going to push for the empty net record this season. Hmm. Very obscure one. Very obscure. So, who is the record holder? That I
3: can't remember. I should. Alex Ovechkin and Pavel Bure are tied. There you go. Hey, hey. Everyone, everyone dogs on empty nets. Oh,
1: I know. It's such a laugh. I'm like, you gotta you're you're on the ice protecting the lead because they think you're valid like yes. figured out. You you have to
3: be trusted to be out there. So I don't ever bag on them. No. And you also have to get it there as as any as Tyler and any gambler will tell you. We we just watched the Vegas Golden Knights last week. Tyler's still probably mad about that on the puck line. They had, like, four cracks at an empty net and did
1: not hit it. So Lee, to ice Lee, the game,
3: it didn't something.
1: Leon Drysad, it was a it was kind of a running joke, but he was pissed about it. He missed, like, a stretch of four empty netters in games. Like, they, they, they still won the game, but he missed four of them. Where he real had thing. a shot, like, on the, op, on the offensive side of center, and he missed
3: the net. So if Connor McDavid sets the record or, or ties it for empty net goals, he better be getting 50.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I thought this was the year he'd get 50. He's off to a good start.
3: I thought last year would be the year. I did predict it again this year, but he's gonna get there at some point.
1: Yeah. And it's hard because you know, dry saddle's a good score too, right? Like, you know, to even have two 40 goal scores, I know Calgary was that that massive anomaly, but you know, there's only ever been one team in NHL history that had three 50 goal scores in the same season, and not many that even have two. So yeah. you know, you kind of to, to have two guys even be 45 plus is rare. So um, you know, when you consider dry a two time 50 goal guy, and you know. He's, he's on pace again for 40-plus goals that, uh, you know, there's sometimes just not that many goals to go around, but I do think this is the year McDavid gets it. Huh. And the empty netters will help. A lot. Frank, one last one for you. Through two weeks, is there what's been the biggest positive surprise for you and uh, which is the biggest warning sign?
2: Hmm.
3: I'd say Boston has been the biggest positive surprise. That team looks really good. and I, Without I think, a lot of good players. Well, I know, but we were thinking that they'd just have to hang on, like play survival hockey until November, late November, when they get Marshan and McAvoy back. And I honestly think they can win the division okay. once once that happens. You know, you look at Florida and their injuries, they're going to suffer for a bit toronto's been up and down they'll probably get it together i just think it's wide open for them that's a positive surprise um and i would say it's too early for real cause for concern but i was definitely surprised about minnesota and their winless start they just have given up so much 23 goals against in four games is a ton oh
1: yeah that is uh that's legit crazy. I, to me, the, uh, the early positive is the, uh, the goal scoring of Svechnikov. Uh, as an offensive guy, I love to see it, and uh, I hope it co- continues. It, to me, it's early, of course, but with injuries and everything else, I have a little concern about the Capitals. I think that's fair. I can see that. We'll see. Frank, have yourself uh, an awesome weekend. We look forward to, uh, we're going to lock in a pretty special guest uh, and and an important guest on uh, Monday. It's not 100%, so we won't uh, tease it, but I think it's somebody people are going to want to hear a story. That's coming up on Monday. Have a great weekend, uh, everyone. Enjoy the games. Oh, Frank, before we go, I forgot. Tell me quickly, (laughs) Phillies, dude, they're three wins away. What's the atmosphere in Philly now as you head into uh, the NLCS coming to Philadelphia?
3: I can't wait to go to the game tonight. I'm going to say there's actually some nerves. Um, Are you a nervous fan in the, the, the n- No, I'm not, on. but I'm saying like the city is, a, is a little nervous. Like you think getting the, you know, getting a split in San Diego that, that everyone would be over the moon. And I think the way game two played out, like the Padres did to the Phillies, what they did to the other two teams that they beat. And so having a four run lead and blowing it in game two, and you had a chance to basically almost guarantee that the series is not going back to San Diego. Um, I think everyone's a little nervous to see how this game three goes. Cause you've got Ranger Suarez game three, and then you're going a bullpen game on game four again. And it's amazing how that bullpen game worked out for the Phillies against the Braves, but that's a lot to ask. So um, they need to get their studs back on the mound games five yeah. and six.
1: And you're going to all three games.
3: Yeah. Jack up how do
1: you choose who you take
3: it's actually like an ongoing discussion so date night tonight taking my wife okay and she was like On a Friday. oh i
1: like it oh she was like look. do we have
3: to like it's gonna be a little chilly like i'm like seriously like if you don't want to go like i'll find someone else oh i'll go um saturday i think go. saturday i think i'm gonna take my brother and then sunday i have four tickets i think i'm gonna take my dad my sister and my son oh so nice
1: look at you the, But that's, that's the, that's the plan at the moment. Oh man. But I just, you know, for, for, for your son, he's old enough. He'll remember this at at eight. Like this is going to be like, this will enter him into the, the legit crazy fandom. And I say crazy in a positive way. Like he, this is where people's like they're they live and die with their team is born at a young age. Yeah. I would say that and agree, except like
3: you, you have to meet my son. He's like a bit of a space cadet. So he'd probably just shrug and be like, eh,
1: whatever. Oh, but wait, that's what he does later. with everything. Just like, yeah. eh, whatever. Yeah. Well, if they win game five and he's there, maybe it's a different feel. Yeah. So hopefully be, that's the, I, honestly, just fun, but the memory he, is cool. I, I'm jealous. I love sporting events when they matter and, yeah. and everybody like, and baseball, mm-hmm. every pitcher, you're a little bit nervous. So I'm, I'm sure Frankie, you, you might have a beer or two to calm your nerves. Mm-hmm. Well, enjoy, uh, enjoy date night. Enjoy the uh, weekend series of the Phillies. And, uh, well, we'll see. Should be a fun. I'll say this. Who's ever in the NL, whoever wins, that's who I want to win the uh, the World Series. I have no time for the Yankees or the Astros. So. I agree. God, I would like the Astros to get to the World Series and lose for the third time in four years. Karma is what I would call it.
2: Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Sarvali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode delivered by DoorDash.